welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers and artists from all walks of life about their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Maze. As always, our podcast is presented by Mudstack, the only digital asset management and collaboration platform custom-built for game studios and digital artists. Mudstack is free for artists, so if you'd like to learn more about Mudstack, head on over to mudstack.com or join our Discord channel today. All right, thank you, Vani, so much for agreeing to be here on the Clear as Mud podcast. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. I've got a couple questions. I think a lot of our listeners are going to get a really good experience out of all this. So you have such a tremendous career and you're really an inspiration. It was great getting to meet you at GDC and I've been wanting to have you on the podcast pretty much ever since. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. (laughs) And I'm a bit nervous. No need to be nervous at all. I'm nervous. I'm more nervous to talk to you probably. But we've got to chat a little bit before. And so I think that should help. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead. I'll just start with one of my first questions. Can you just tell me a little bit about your journey in the VFX and animation industry? How did you come into the field? I would love to hear more about what inspired you to pursue VFX and animation as a career. When I was very young, my father wanted to make animated films. I was probably eight or nine years old and we were living in India. I remember how much joy he felt when he watched some of the Disney classics like Bambi and Dumbo and the Tom and Jerry shorts. It allowed him to be a child, I think. (laughs) And it allowed him to be vulnerable. And it is that that I think translated, and I can only see that today when I'm speaking to you, that I think it was that joy on my father's face of, oh my God, there's another way that we can experience storytelling. There's another way that we can feel healed. There's another way that we can feel therapeutic about watching these movies. There's another way that we can connect with a completely different culture that is not us, but it's the underlying human emotion. And he wanted to make animated films. He wanted to bring this very specific Indian, what should I say, superpower hero called Hanuman, which is he's a very powerful Indian deity whose entire impression or his whole philosophy is about friendship. Hanuman is all about love, friendship, and devotion to the people that you love. And the word devotion has been confused as a religious thing in the Western language. But we all are very devoted to our families. We all are very devoted to our friendship. We just don't use that word because we have somehow put a very different context to it. But the entire country of one point six some billion people uses this as a currency which is very different when I've been living here in the States because our currency, the words are different, but the currency or the underlying emotion is the same. And it's exactly that that he wanted to bring from a storytelling point of view to show the vulnerability of Hanuman, who is this mighty, powerful monkey god, but also show the foundation of what that relationship is. So what is your relationship with 
your family, with your friends, with everything that is around you. And he wanted to bring those stories to the world way back in 1984. And I don't remember if that was the point that subconsciously the seed was rooted in my head, (laughs) saying that this is the path that you will be taking. But it did happen as early as 1984 and 1985. That was what me and my brother were introduced to as another parallel universe or a metaverse or whatever you want to call it, be able to read comic books. So I think it started at that point that I wanted to be a storyteller or at least be a part of that storytelling process. I love that answer. I think that was so beautifully said and I was just smiling ear to ear. I know it's just audio right now, but wow, that's actually just moving to think about it. That just led directly into my next question, which was going to be, what inspired you to focus on bridging this gap between Asian and North American storytellers and bringing Asian stories to the world through VFX and animation, which you've already answered? Yes, I did. But I think it's, again, seeing the representation on screen, whether in voice, whether in music, whether in clothing, whether in the sensitivity of how parents raise their children in India, which is very different from how parents raise their children here in the West. And there are so many tiny little specific authentic details that have not been presented, that have not been, there's not enough diversity and specificity. And I believe that when you grow up. When I grew up, all I was watching from Indian films was very specific to India and they were designed in a particular way to hit certain formulas. So there were the commercial films, which was a lot of singing and dancing and imaginary world and visualization to overcome hurdles was always a tool in the Indian filmmaking space. And then you saw the very Western films, which again focused on the family issues or films like Kramer versus Kramer. Or some of those films were like, oh my God, look what's happening in the world in the West. And one watched that film and thought that sitting in India, you always thought, oh my God, that's what's happening in the West all the time. But no, (laughs) that one film is not the representation of the entire United States or just you know when you come with that kind of a point of a view that is america that is europe that is canada and then people that are sitting in this side of the world are looking at indian films and they're going oh my god these indian films they just have this dancing and whatever and then hello that's not just what we do there are other films but you don't get to see them and i feel like when this kind of biases are getting made it feels like you need to open another small door to let people in on other ways and I think the internet did that in a big way where we started seeing visuals we started listening to different parts of the world about what's happening other than the news that was being fed to us so I feel like as a human being forget as a storyteller as a human being I think we all have stories Every single human being has their own unique voice and they all have something that they absolutely are different from the other person. 
in their experiential journey in their life so as i grew up i felt that was not visible and the space was missing to put that to uplift yourself and say you know what i'm going to <laughs> how should i put it i'm going to promote myself <laughs> to do this <laughs> i'm not going to wait for somebody to find me and put me on the spot and give me an opportunity because you could wait but then you could also say you know what i can do this on my own two feet and i think that's when i started dancing atoms and decided about 8 years ago that i'm going to promote myself to that position to share my ideas and bridge that gap you took the initiative for yourself to be the change in the world that you want to be i think we hear that phrase a lot and maybe we don't fully internalize or understand what it means but i think you explained it very well and it's also again you're very intuitive you've already guessed my next question so could you just share some of the insights into your latest project dancing atoms and what sets it apart from other projects and other studios and what can we expect from it down the road so i think dancing atoms when i started it i was just one person and i was feeling like i didn't belong anywhere i didn't know where i belonged and it came from that idea that i got to dance i got to do my own dance <laughs> and it's going to be awkward <laughs> and so i i named it like okay it's going to be like these things that are happening inside my body that i can't see and all around me that the atoms are constantly moving in a particular pattern in a particular step and that's where the name came from and because i was alone on the journey of doing what i was doing i called it a home for creators which literally meant that anybody that had a fantastic idea can be a part of dancing atoms and we built together a india creative collective and that was the birth of dancing atoms obviously i had a lot of concepts that my father had written and my mother had written in the animation space and they had done so much amount of research and they never got made another creative friend that i was trying to help she mentioned hey you know what you're sitting on gold why don't you just open your treasure box because you have a lot of material that you can polish and that started the journey to say all right i'm going to start working on some of these animation concepts that my father and mother had worked on that never saw the light and so that became a journey on its own but also i have immense love for the himalayas and i've been trekking and traveling the mountains for almost 20 22 years or 23 years now and every year i've made it a point to make time for myself to go away into the mountains all alone with a backpack and just walk and do nothing and that kind of led me to wanting to make a documentary as well so i've always loved making documentaries and i would say documentary was always my first love so i decided as an independent filmmaker that i bought myself a nikon d800 and just decided i'm going to make my documentary <laughs> so that also was the birth of after running some really big studios to to stand out there to break the boxes and say I'm going to do something that I've always wanted to do and I'm going to give myself the permission to do it and that was also doing a lot of live action short films and stuff. So currently 
my focus is mostly on writing a lot of amazing stories and ideas which i've been writing and rewriting many drafts for my feature concepts and i'm pitching some four quadrant really fun comedy feature films and i'm writing for very young children which is called preschool so there's a project called gannu which got selected by stories by women they selected the project to come to annecy last year in 2022 So that was fantastic. So I'm continuing to pitch this beautiful little story for preschoolers. It's extremely optimistic, very positive. It's about building on your ideas. So I'm I'm excited about that. And I have another project with a Canadian company that I'm partnered with called Epic Story Media, another preschool show. So I'm excited about that as well. We've pitched it to a lot of people and I'm really hoping that we find a home for those projects. I'm super excited to see everything that comes out of the work that you've been doing. Just the thought of you, I've met you and just the thought of you going alone with a backpack into the Himalayas. You're so tremendously brave and so it's no surprise at all to me that you're branching out and you're conquering your own mountain. In your career as well, right? Like you're taking risks and you're taking you're doing what brings you joy, but also you're trying to bring something to the world that's an enriched and lived in experience for yourself. And I think that's so tremendously authentic. Honestly, I want to see more human beings, not just storytellers. I want to see exactly the way you phrased it. More human beings bringing their humanity, whether it's in film or game or television, just more of that human element, especially given so much of the trends today that we see of machine learning and that kind of thing. You're someone who's worked with really renowned studios like DreamWorks Animation, Rhythm and Hues Asia, And could you just share some of the valuable lessons that you've learned along the way that may have helped you shape your career? Yeah, I think you know, I I don't know if I was chosen, destined. I sometimes look back and it feels like a completely different metaverse. <laughs> I want to use that word because I never dreamt of running an academy award-winning studio. I never desired it. I never wanted to manage people. I never studied for that. But there is something that I've observed about the lessons of working is that sometimes what you subconsciously seek or don't seek arrives in front of you, right? And you have two choices mostly, either to say yes to that and go with that flow or to say no and do what you really are cut out that you really desire to do sometimes you're very lucky if what shows up in front of you and what you really want to do are almost the same which is i would say so phenomenally awesome what are the chances right what are the chances that you get to do what you love and so at working like in india for many years and then having given this opportunity to set up rhythm and hues which was an academy award winning studio based in los angeles i got the opportunity to start and build rhythm and hues in india in 2001 some of the most valuable lessons that i would say that i've learned is trust <laughs> what does trust the power of trust in a workplace can make things so I don't even know if I have words for it but trust can make you feel at home. Trust can make you 
do wonders. Trust can build relationships. And so I was trusted with this. I had never been to the US. I never traveled to the US. And I was hired over a dial-up connection. So I feel like what made the other person on the other end to trust me? What choices did they have? <laughs> not meeting a person <laughs> over a phone call, not even a video call, to say, this person, I trust this person to do this. It's such a simple thing. If you actually break it down, it's as simple as saying, I trust you it, and I believe in you. How hard is it for us to do that? When that was put on me, I questioned so many things. <laughs> I was like, what, how, what, what, like, how do I run a company? And you trust me with money and you trust me with my judgment and you trust me with making the right choices and decisions and building a studio. Like it was just a lot of confusion. <laughs> it was like an emotional shake. Like it was a roller coaster ride emotionally because 99.9% .9 of the time people do not want to believe you. And people do not want to trust you, including a little bit of yourself. They're internally fighting our critical voice all the time that's saying, you can't do this. Now you have the external voices that give you a little bit of belief and trust, but not 100%. And I think my big learning lesson was the way that the founders of Rhythm and Hughes, Pauline, John Hughes, Pauline So, John Hughes, and Keith Goldfarb had this control, but lack of control in just saying, we are going to trust you to do this. And now I, who <laughs> was sitting here in India, had to figure out how can I imbibe that value and pass it forward? Was there any other way that I can do this? Can I trust the next group of people that I am going to hire? Can I trust them? Can I believe in them? It is the hardest thing and also the easiest thing. So I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me. And then I think working internationally at Rhythm and Hughes, going back to Los Angeles to connect with the mothership, as I call it, and then coming back to India, and then we set up another studio in Malaysia, and then in Taiwan... I realized that the artists want to belong and that the artists want to be taken care of and that talent was universal. So these were the other values that I learned over a period of time by just managing people, super talented people, by the way, because I felt like those are the same things that I want for myself, whether I'm an artist or not, but that's what I want. I want to be respected. I want to be valued. I want to be taken care of. I want to be appreciated for what I do. And I'm talented. And I think that's everybody, right? Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to do bad work today. <laughs> I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I'm going to do a funny job today. So I think there was so much that I realized and didn't realize also at the right time that this was the universal thing. This was very universal, that you have to take care of people. And I remember one of the few meetings that I had with John Hughes, who was the founder of Rhythm and Hughes. I asked him, John, you've hired me to run India and manage it. 
what do you expect from me? And he literally said just these words, I just want you to take care of the people. And I was like, wait, what? You don't hear that. Like who, who tells you to take care of people? But also someone who knows that if you do that, everything else falls in place. Like everything will fall in place because you now value your peers, your team members, and it builds a certain dynamic. And I'm telling you the magic that we created building those four studios in Asia was addictive. (laughs) We were on a high just because of this very simple concept of trust and let that trust continue and let that multiply. And I love the multiplication effect because then the trust amplified and multiplied and happiness amplified and multiplied, the quality of work amplified, the belonging multiplied, like everybody felt belonged. Nobody felt like they didn't belong. I think it's very magical and I would love for people to try it out as an experiment. (laughs) It does do great wonders if one can condition themselves to do that. And I think at DreamWorks, one of the most equally powerful things that I learned is taking care of people is important, but also the financial well-being of running a studio is equally important. Not that it's more or less, but it's equally important because you need to look at it from a business point of view. The visual effects and animation industry is a business. But you can, you have to always keep a pulse, like you always have to read that pulse very regularly and carefully because it's very hard to be in this business. I would say it's one of the toughest businesses to be in is the entertainment industry. I think people perform pretty well when there's stability, but the entertainment industry as a whole is naturally pretty volatile. It can go a lot of different ways at different times, and that can have tremendous effects on people's psychological well-being. People have families to take care of, they have to put a roof over their heads, and it's hard to be creative and be inspired when you're not entirely sure that you're going to have a job three months from down the line. That's something I've picked up definitely from talking to so many different people on the podcast, mostly in the gaming industry, but also in the film industry and VFX. That's just my personal experience. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the deepest desire to be seen is satisfied by being in the film industry or the visual effects, animation industry, or anything where you're visible. And then the name, like the desire to be famous, is also attached with this industry so deeply that that I would say that a lot of the companies, I'm saying that the individuals themselves have to also be aware of what their deepest desire is to be visible, to be heard, to be famous, to have a name and a reputation. But it's all coming at a cost, which is your physical health and your mental health. So instead of pointing fingers to studios or to companies, I think individually the artists have to value themselves and know and create that work-life balance as we move forward. Do you have any advice that you'd want to give to aspiring creatives who are interested in pursuing a career in VFX, animation, the game industry, just the entertainment industry as a whole? 
Personally, the advice that I would give my younger self is talk to people, reach out to talent that's out there, have a coffee, Zoom call, or if you have the luxury to meet the person in person, then please go meet them, get studio tours before you decide on taking up a career there. Write down your pros and cons and write down your goals that you want to achieve and and the sacrifices you will make to achieve those. So like really deep dive into it if you can and then weigh out your options because sometimes we may not even know that's what we want, but we are in that position and we accept it. But later, 10, 15 years later, if you're like burnt out or if you realize, oh my God, this is not what I wanted to do, or oh my goodness, this is exactly where I wanted to be and I'm so happy I did what I'm doing, that's also cool. But I think like regularly talking to people in the industry, going to events outside of your one field, because I think like in the last three years, there's been a huge shift in the narrative, in storytelling and in in the narrative. Educate yourself regularly, listen to some great podcasts or go to exhibitions, events, conferences. There's so many happening in your location or outside. Invest in that, invest in yourself, because when you work only for one company or one studio, it's great that you're loyal and you're dedicated, but it's also equally important that you understand what's happening and how valuable you are in this big something that's out there. I constantly try and learn things every day. If I can, I'll read something very different from what I'm doing, nothing related to writing or storytelling. I'll read about fashion. I'll read about how many fans are being made in America every day. I'll just read about strange things because I'm just aware a little bit more about what's happening in the industry, but like above and beyond the industry, just to know that it's good to do multiple things. It's good to invest time and energy in multiple things. So you have some kind of a security or a fallback. Sometimes I've been pitching my projects for about six years and I've known people whose projects have been greenlit in two years and three years. And I've also known people whose projects have not been greenlit for 16 years. So this creative space is, what should I say, so attractive, but extremely competitive. There's very little space there or it's very tightly held. I think there's abundance, but I also feel like it's tightly held by decision makers. And the truth is it's a business. I can come in from being an extremely passionate writer, creator, filmmaker, but at the end of the day, I should have done my best, but I can't depend only on this. I have to either teach or write another thing for a gaming company. So my narrative has to expand above and beyond one thing. And I think that's the future. So yeah, I would say the advice is talk to a lot of people, talk to the interconnecting fields as much as you can. 
And I just have to say this for our listeners. This is advice that you can trust because I met Vani at GDC and you were there and it's the first thing you said to me, basically, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it's, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm just here to figure it out. You were taking your own advice. You were going into this environment where you wanted to learn more about the game industry and you came right up to me. Maybe I came up to you one way or the other. And you started talking to me about your vision and your story. And it immediately just made me feel such a great appreciation for you. I had no idea who you were, what was your background, what was on your resume or anything like that. And I was just immediately drawn to this creative passion and this aura that you had about you and this very chaotic gaming conference with people from all around the world. You definitely stood out, but I think that you do take your own advice. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that there is profundity in the obscure. And I draw a lot of inspiration every day from weird, random things that I have no idea about, like eating weird food. I'm here in the South. There's weird things like fried pickles and okra and things that I've never ate before. And maybe they're not strange to some people, but to me they are. And it's inspiring. I take those things and I put them away in a filing cabinet. And I'm like, I'm going to use that. And I'm going to enrich my writing at some point. I'm going to enrich my experience. I do just think that it's really solid advice and you live and you practice your own advice. And that's not always something that we see. No, thank you. I was very apprehensive, vulnerable, scared, unsure about attending GDC because it's like I've heard about it for many years, but I was like, wait, what am I going to achieve from going here? And I was like, why am I overthinking it? I'll go. It's not about... So I think the expectations that we have of ourselves that I have to achieve and everything has to become something, I've learned that it comes full circle. Like a lot of the relationships that I have made professionally about even maybe 20 years ago have somehow connected back to me 20 years later, and now I'm working with them on a project. And I'm like, wait, I never planned for that. But I am so glad that person and I had met 20 years ago. <laughs> and look at what kind of a joy. Like, they, like, it's so amazing how these random conversations, these random meetings are somehow, it's like a dance that you just don't realize what your next move is but it is going to happen at some point if you it's kind of lovely to embrace uncertainty is all I'm trying to say is coming to GDC and saying you know what I don't know what's going to happen but I'm going to go right I absolutely loved coming up to you I think I came up and I was curious about what your studio was doing and I was like hey can you tell me a little bit more and then you asked me and then it went to a beautiful conversation and then I met your other friends so it's great. Like I've made a relationship. I've made a new friend. I've made a new contact, which was not about I'm going to go get this, but this was more organic and more satisfying in so many ways. So I think the advice is, again, like you never know who you're going to bump into, right? And another very quick advice, not that I'm capable of giving advices, but something that's absolutely transformed my life is practicing silence <laughs> and I want to tell the whole world about it it's just amazing if you could just not talk turn off your gadgets and step away for 24 hours at least once a month if you can afford to or whenever you can afford to do that to just completely just be with yourself nothing else 
I've realized that my awareness has increased. I feel more sensitive about myself and the people I'm surrounded by. I feel immense gratitude by practicing silence. I value being in this body, I should say. So there's just a lot of wonderful side effects <laughs> of being silent. So I would absolutely suggest, request, advise, give it a try at least. It may not be for everybody, but at least give it a try. I love the way that you originally put it of, I want to tell the whole world about practicing silence. There's such an intrinsic quality to that statement. I'm going to put it on my mirror. <laughs> okay, I have more questions. So a lot of people, especially in the gaming industry, they're moving away from this idea of going and working for 20 to 25 years at a AAA studio. And instead, they're embarking on independent careers, sometimes at very young ages, and going off and founding their own game studio or filmmaking studios, what have you. Um, could you just talk about some of the challenges you faced when you were founding Dancing Atoms and how you were able to overcome them or how you're still in the process of overcoming them? And then the coda to that is, what about those challenges excites you or keeps you motivated and makes you know that you're on the right track? Because I think that there's, this is my own personal philosophy, but I think that if something's worth doing, it's probably not going to be easy you're going to face challenges. If it's easy, it might not actually be worth doing. And that's just my own personal philosophy, take it or leave it. But yeah. So my question is for those people who, especially our younger audience who are going and embarking on founding their own studio, maybe not advice, but what's just your own experience? So I can talk a little bit about my learnings and the shortcomings. I want to say that when I decided I'm going to start my own studio, I should have talked to 10 other people first, which I didn't. <laughs> I would highly recommend do that. Talk to people about what it is to do a startup completely on your own. I've built studios. I've built five studios around the world for other people, right? And I know what it is to build for others. But like building something for yourself is a completely different, I don't want to call it a beast or a monster, but it's completely different. I would say it's like you're creating something and you have a goal and you have something in your mind, but the amount of research one should do before they start something is very important because at least for me, I think today if I were to start another company, I would absolutely do a lot of research first. I would get a lot of advices. I would even probably go to therapy and ask myself, why am I doing this? So those basic questions, which I use as a tool for me is what, why, where, when, and how. Um, I use that in every form, like in my communication, in dealing with my artists, in dealing with my producers, in every relationship, I think those are the questions that I always ask before I do stuff, because it makes me stronger, it makes me powerful, it makes me knowledgeable and intuitive to say, okay, I am doing this because of this and not some superficial thing that I was going after. It is extremely hard to start up your own company unless you already have friends or clients that are willing to give you business. Then if you have that, then that's a wonderful blessing to start with where someone is already seeing the value that you're going to bring and 
is willing to give you that work. So your starting problems are not like your teething problems or your starting problems are not as hard as someone who has no idea and is starting from scratch with no contacts, with no relationships and has to continue developing their own content like I'm doing on my own. And I think those are the biggest things is research, preparing, planning, progressing, stepping back a little bit, and then reviewing it again. And we all have goals. And that's another wonderful thing that I've learned over this past six years, eight years of being independent, is that if my goal is to create stories and have my stories be visible in film theaters or on screens all around the world and to be on the top OT platforms or whatever, that's my goal. But to actually have an action plan of what are all my gaps to get there. So I call it like really filling up, filling in the blanks in a very childlike way to say, cool, I want to be there. I want to win that Academy Award. <laughs> I want to win that Oscar for my film as one of the best filmmakers. But guess what? These are all the 50 things that I have to do to get there. And then there is the uncertainty of another 50 things that I can't even think about, that I can't even visualize. But being absolutely aware is, I think, the goal of being successful and being specific, not just generic, but like extremely specific, telling the universe to support you on that mission. <laughs> and like literally calling for it and saying, I want it like this and this and calling that very specifically and being focused is one of the most challenging things of running a business, I would say. Wow. Yeah. That's more than I could have even asked from for that answer. I think I love the analogy of filling in the blanks and being honest with yourself and then also starting your own company, starting your own creative venture. There's an inherently childlike quality to it. It reflects this question that we're asked a lot in our childhood of what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think that it's interesting. The answers that you'll get from children, they're so aspirational and they're inspiring. And then sometimes they're a little rudimentary and mundane, and that's okay too. And I think everybody falls somewhere along that spectrum. And so it's inspiring for me to see so many creative people going off and taking those risks. But I do think that, yeah, if you have these goals, you need to fill in the blanks. You need to make your plans, make your action items. It's the corporate lingo way of talking about it. But then, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast, Vani. This was a tremendous way to start my day. I'm going to be thinking a lot about this probably for the rest of my life, I would say. So I hope our listeners get a lot out of it as well. And I hope you have a really good time. just wanted to say that what connects us is this kindness. So what I want to be is I want to be kind at the minimum. <laughs> and so I cannot thank you for being so kind and so patient with me. I'm so thrilled that I got to do this and I'm really filled with joy right now and of course my smiles are also going from year to year so i'm sending you lots of love and i'm sending everybody else that's listening lots of love and joy to them and their family members thank you so much vani the last thing that we always ask on the podcast is if there's 
anybody that you want to give a shout out to, if there's any project that you're particularly excited about that you want to plug, just is there anything that you'd like to give a shout out to? I think I'm going to shout out to the universe because the universe belongs to me. <laughs> Thank you, universe, for putting me here. And I'm so thrilled by the little birds that are the hummingbirds that are outside my window. These little things, I'm just so thankful for everything. And of course, the wonderful family that loves you no matter what and constantly challenges you to be the best version of yourself. And to my inner voice that is active. And yeah, I just want to shout out to my mom, who is actually my big mountain, who has been there for me, continually supporting me and my little brother and my husband and my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. So it's not going to end. So I'm going to say I'm going to shout out to everybody and my wonderful team and Dancing Atoms and all the artists that are working for me for the projects that I have. So yeah, thank you. Thank you to everybody that's out there. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a beautiful experience. And like I said, one I will probably never forget. I hope you have a beautiful day. And I'm so excited to see everything that comes out of Dancing Atoms. And I hope we get to talk again soon. that's going to be our show today. We want to give a big thank you to Vani for being our guest. We want to give a thank you to our listeners. And we want to give a big thank you to Mudstack, the only digital asset management and collaboration platform custom built for game studios and digital artists. If you'd like to learn more about Mudstack, head on over to mudstack.com, join our Discord, or follow us on socials on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you're using. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on Clear as Mud.